Hey, I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. If you've never heard the show before, I've got great news. Our concept is super simple. We're an education news podcast that believes that pretty much everyone has had a teacher who inspired them, or a professor, or a coach who helped them become the person that they are today, and we want to talk to that person. So tell us about the person who comes to your mind when we say that. Shoot us an email at teacherslounge at niu.edu, and they could be on the podcast. Like today, we have Sarah Schneider. She's a kindergarten teacher at Gwendolyn Brooks Elementary in DeKalb, Illinois. We talked about teaching dozens of five or six-year-olds over video during the pandemic. You can imagine how that could be sometimes. She talked about what it's like when they came back, too, how you juggle in-person and remote simultaneously. At least the masks stopped them from putting markers in their mouths at some point. Stick around. We have so much and more coming up in this conversation. All right, the school year is starting again soon. I know it's kind of hard to believe, but it is August, and there are some people who have already started, believe it or not. In my conversation with Sarah, we mentioned that you know she didn't know exactly what the year was going to look like, whether she'd be able to bring in games, have group activities, that kind of things. But we did learn one thing this week in Illinois. There will be masks. On Wednesday, the governor announced a mask mandate for both students and teachers, regardless of vaccination status. The order is effective immediately and applies to both public and private K-12 schools. Illinois' largest teachers organization, the Illinois Education Association, supports the decision. Kathy Griffin is the group's president. We want to be back in school with our students. We so missed working with them in person. And by having a mask mandate, it means that we have a more likely chance of staying open, working through this pandemic. She also encouraged people to get vaccinated if they're eligible. Athletes and coaches participating in indoor sports must also wear masks. Now, before we get into my conversation with Sarah, I've got one more story for you changing gears a little bit. The Olympics are coming to a close in just a couple days, and the U.S. women's soccer team, who won the World Cup in 2019, just won their last game to finish with a bronze medal in this year's Olympics. And one member of the squad hails from Illinois, and I got to talk with folks from her alma mater about her rise to Olympian status and what it means to the players there now. Casey Kruger, previously Casey Short, is one of the team's first-time Olympians. On the corner kick, headed by Short, right up against the post and in. Somehow it stuck through. But just a few months ago, she said at a press conference she thought she might not ever get the chance. The defender was left off the 2019 World Cup team and battled injuries ahead of the games. I wasn't sure if my time with the national team was done or not. Um, and then ultimately got this call to come back in and, you know, was so stoked just to get an opportunity. Kruger's unlikely road to the Olympics runs right through Northern Illinois. She went to Naperville Central High School where she starred on the soccer and track team. She was the first girl ever to win the state title in the 400 and 800 meter race in the same year. Ed Watson was her soccer coach at Naperville Central where he's been the head girl soccer coach for over 25 years. That's the type of athlete that we're talking about. Just once in a generation type athlete. And even though she patrols the national team's defense now, Watson jokes that she was just too good not to be in a position to score goals at Naperville Central. We would have been tough to score against, but you have to use that weapon. So we, you know, we moved her up, played in the midfield and played up top for us and created a lot of opportunities for herself and her teammates. 
In 2008, she scored the most goals in a season in school history with 18. And that record was tied this past year by current NCHS star Molly O'Rear. O'Rear says it means a lot to have someone like Casey to look up to for her and her teammates. It's just inspiring to think about that someone that was in your shoes, went to the same classes that you did, had the same coaches, had the same teachers, really stepped up and decided to follow her dream. For Coach Watson, it's great to have her as an ambassador, since in his view, this U.S. national team has an impact much larger than soccer. And the squad is a cultural force, and Watson says they're role models for young athletes, especially girls. And he says he wants his players to watch how Kruger acts and carries herself outside the pitch just as much as her style of play. There's a whole bunch of good players. She's a great person. And that's what I will always remember about my opportunity to, and I don't say coach Casey because I probably just was more along the line of enjoying the journey with Casey. Watson remembers her coming to summer workouts with the high school team, even when she was playing club soccer and didn't have to be there. Since high school, she stayed physically close to her roots too. Kruger currently plays for the National Women's Soccer League's Chicago Red Stars, a half hour from Naperville. That's given Naperville Central players like O'Rear the chance to meet her at Red Stars games. She came over and saw my sweatshirt and she goes, oh my gosh, I went there and kind of talked a little bit, got her autograph. She also ran into Kruger and got to talk with her, like all good Chicagoland celebrity sightings, at a Portillo's. O'Rear's also caught a few of the Olympic matches so far, even though they're on in the middle of the night with the games being in Tokyo. Of course, I've been waking up against my parents' wishes, of course, but I got to see it. And I was actually lucky enough to see uh, Casey go in, which was pretty dang cool. She watches Kruger's confidence and aggression. She takes note of the perfect technique, how pure each strike is, and how the team responds to her leadership. But the thing O'Rear says she thinks about the most is how Kruger conquered adversity to make it from Naperville to the pinnacle of the sport. She got drafted second overall into the NWSL and in preseason tore her ACL for the second time. And I'm like, that's insane that she came back from that. I mean, that's such a mental hit. And she came back and is now a star in the NWSL. I don't think anybody has ever scored on her, not when I've watched her. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with Sarah Schneider. We did have some technical difficulties with this one. It's just going to happen recording remotely as we are. I did more surgery on these audio files than I have in a really long time to make them sound okay. But if it's not quite as crisp as you're used to, that's why. Now, without any further ado, let's get into our chat. I'm curious up top, like, it's the summer now. You've got, like, a month or so before the next school year starts? Just barely, yeah. How are you How are you feeling? Are you feeling ready to jump back in? Not quite yet. Um, I did a lot of professional development at the beginning of the summer. I did a couple different things, and then one at the end of June, and then now I haven't really done anything for a few weeks, and so... You mentioned, like, the, the professional development part of this, and... I'm always curious now that you had such a whirlwind of a last year and then you have like a little bit of time off and maybe some time to reflect on there. Like from a kindergarten perspective, I'm curious, like, are there any things that you feel like you really learned from last year that maybe you can even take with you, you know, beyond when we have to hopefully think about the pandemic? Academically, everything was just completely different because kindergartners have never been forced to be on a computer that much. And so uh, that was all crazy. I hope I don't have to go back to much of that. Uh, the hands-on stuff is what really, you know, what kindergartners need. So I don't plan to go back to too much tech that way. But the communication with the parents, I thought was really good. And getting to know the families better because I was in their home on the little screen. And so I got to know this year's families really well. And 
they got to know me more than just their kids knowing me, you know, and they're coming to school every day and I, you know, send home a newsletter and call once in a while and then see them preparing teacher conferences. It's not, uh, it's not the same. So that was really nice, actually. And I think I'm going to try, you know, not be uh, on a Google meet with them constantly in their living room, but uh, definitely try to make more of those parent connections. Right. Well, I, th- I think the technology part of it's really fascinating too, because I think that maybe for you guys, it'll be more along the lines of the things that did work, like the, you know, parent-teacher conferences and things like that. But I think about older kids, like high school kids, bringing in all the technology that they did during the last year, I feel like that's probably, a lot of it is going to stay, and they're probably going to keep taking advantage of, of a lot of it. But I feel like when you're talking about younger kids, when hands-on and group activities are so essential to it. Hopefully that pendulum is going to swing a little bit back into the other direction a little bit because it seems like it's just a completely different situation there. Yeah, definitely. Um, It'll be good to have a grasp of that technology for um, when kids are, you know, out sick with something major when they're gone a little bit longer or this coming year when they still have to quarantine um, because my students won't be um, vaccinated till, what are we hearing it? at least October or something for the younger kids to even have an opportunity. So um, it'll be nice to still have that technology, but it's not what I'm going to use in the classroom at all. <laughs> Last year, like how long were you completely remote? So we went until, so from August, whatever we started till February 1st was the first time I had a few students in the classroom. Um, and then finally after spring break, um, everyone who wanted to come was allowed to come every day but it was crazy for a while i mean like when they were completely remote how many how many kids is that in one you know google meet 26 27 depending you know i think people in their minds picture like an in-person classroom of 27 kindergartners as like chaos and you know my mom was a kindergarten teacher so i can attest to a little bit of that hearing firsthand but i feel like in everyone's mind they are picturing Google Meet online kindergarten as being very chaotic. Is, is that accurate? What does that look like in reality? Yeah, no, um, they, they both take a lot of training, um, training the students to understand what I want them to do, what the expectations are and what the schedule is going to be and things like that. And with remote learning, I didn't even know, you know, how to do it all when I first started. And so um, things changed a lot and uh, we had to keep keep working together, but it was good. I had a lot of parents sitting next to their students and so they could help. And then sometimes the kid would be by themselves a lot of the time. And so um, we'd have to slowly train them, you know, over share your screen and then, you know, let me see what you're looking at. But yeah, either way it's chaotic (laughs) because they're five and six year olds, but online with 26, 27 kids, the mute button was really vital. You gotta be a little liberal with that. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I'm sure there was plenty of times where it was like, you know, you have these aha moments where you're in a situation that's not great, like, you know, remote learning. And you probably have these little bright spots that shine through where you're like, okay, like, actually, this is working. Like, they actually are learning something. But I'm sure that's also coupled with different experiences where you're like, wow, this is really, this has really gone off the rails. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There were some times when I thought something would work and either technology would completely fail me or either they weren't, you know, the majority of the class wasn't feeling it and the participation wasn't there. Um, and you've got to have the feedback, you know, to keep it going and something like that. And so, but definitely I had a lot of bright spots, whole class, but then also in the afternoons, 
we would do um, like a small group thing. They would have to come back on with me in the afternoon with only two or three other kids. And so I think that um, the ones that consistently came back on in the afternoons definitely made the better progression. And we were able to have lots of aha moments when I could teach them to that little group's level. And uh, we made a lot of progress there. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've definitely heard also that there were some situations with kids that young where they get really creative with the the backgrounds too. I don't know if that's something that in Google Meets you had too. Yep, they uh, they loved. And so when one of them would put on a background, then all the other ones would match so that we were all in the same place. It was actually really cute. Oh, well, like what are some, like what are, they, what are they like? What are the ones that you saw a lot? Uh, you know, scenery shots of, you know, the woods or the beach, things like that. There's one that looks like a really fancy modern kitchen and so they would put that one on and be like, look, I'm in my kitchen. I'm going to make lunch. And like <laughs> pretending to be in their actual kitchen. It was really funny. That is so funny. Yeah, I was, like I said, like this is a show where every ed- educator we have on here is like nominated by someone who listens to the show. And so they sent me an email, you know, talking about like why they think that you should be on the show. And I, I wanted to, to read you something that they said. And you could, you could tell me if this is, if this is accurate at all. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So well, they were talking about how even later on, once students start to get to return to school a little bit, that you still had like 18 plus people in person and people online at the same time. And she said, Sarah was on the go from the minute she walked in the building to the time she left. I'm not even sure she had a minute through her day to collect herself. She had several students at every level of academics, behavior needs, and energy levels. That feel about right? That is accurate for sure. Obviously, the just situation of having to juggle people when you have some remote and some in person is difficult. Did it kind of feel like you were just constantly putting out fires throughout the whole day and you didn't really have time to collect yourself like they said? It was definitely a challenge. Um, I'm really loud. The teachers who have classrooms nearby will attest to that part. Um, And so when I couldn't be in front of the camera, if I was, you know, putting out a fire, as you might say, across the room, and you know the, the cameras up front on my Chromebook or whatever, I could they could still hear me at least, and so I could still be shouting directions at them um, from across the room. But uh, then my throat would hurt after school, so you know it was it was a balancing act. Is it? I mean, I I know they're both difficult, but like, is it more challenging to do the balancing act where you're juggling people in person and remote, or just fully remote? Which is more challenging for you in particular? It's definitely harder to have the combination where there's some, because at least when I had them all remote, I could stay in one spot and have all my supplies spread out, you know, around me. I had like an extra table and my desk and all the things, and I could hold up, you know, what I needed and what they needed to get out. And I could kind of stay put and still talk to everyone. And I'm, you know, I had two or three computers going, it depended on the time and my, my smart board up on the screen, projecting the faces. And so I was definitely, you know, doing a lot of tech maneuvering as well as like physically holding things up from the packets I had given them, but I could stay in one spot. Whereas teaching, uh, you know, in person as well, I've got to go over there and see, you know, why this kid has dumped their whole crayon box on the floor and how that's going because, you know, I've got to go over there, but I'm also still trying to teach a math lesson to the kids that want to be able to see me on the screen. But I'm just going to shout at them for a minute and <laughs> go check out what's happening. So Right. It's crayons on the floor and like, oh my gosh, I hope the people that are at home feel like they're having any attention paid to them, right? Yes, yes. They're going, Mr. Shannon, I can't hear you. Mr. Shannon, I can't hear you. And I'm going, 
Yeah, this kid just came out of the bathroom and didn't wash his hands, and now he's like, you know, in somebody else's box. I've got to go deal with that. And so I felt like I was pulled in a lot of directions for sure. And and for the listeners also, like there's no teacher's aid that's like assisting no. you during this. No, no. This is a solo mission. Yes, yes, most of the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it's you know, it, it's interesting. Another thing that that person that, that emailed in the nominated you said was when they were talking about how they got to witness you going to bat for the students every day and that, you know, making sure that, you know, you could do whatever you could for them in the building and whatever they needed. You know, I'm curious when you say, you think about that, like going to bat for your students and making sure you're meeting their needs and meeting them where they're at, specifically within the last school year, like what does that typically look like during such a strange school year? Yeah, so I didn't feel like I had as much time with my students as in a regular year because basically every day was a half day. Whether it was online, it was like three hours, and then they, occasionally they'd come back in the afternoons. And then even in person, it was only three and a half or whatever. And so it didn't feel like I had as much time with my students, but in that time, I can tell from my 17 years of teaching experience who I need to start lining up for future services, whether it's um, speech or um, a student with special needs that's going to need some resource, whatever that looks like. And so I didn't want them to have this wasted year to fail them by not getting that started for them just because we're in a pandemic. And so I never really was told that definitely, but not by my building administration. They're amazing. But by higher ups, it was kind of like, well, we'll have to wait and see, you know, maybe, um, you know, this. And uh, we, the, the team of the um, special ed teachers and myself and whoever um, else needed to be involved, the social workers were great. We just couldn't accept that. We're not going to take it as a wasted year where they have to go through this whole process and be observed again in first grade and then maybe get services and get help in second grade. You know, it takes it takes so long for good reason because you don't want to, you know, do it wrong. You want everything to be proper, but you can't just waste a poor kid's year. Um, they're five and six and they need to get off on the right foot. And so there were definitely a couple of challenges where I had to keep pushing and as she said, you know, go to bat for these kids to make sure they got what, uh, what great start they needed. There's so many challenges that we can go over ad nauseum and that we're all aware of. Thinking about it as, like you said, where this kindergarten is such a jumping off point for the rest of your education journey. And to have this year be something that, you know, wasn't a waste, but it was definitely far different than any one that you've had before. It should be really interesting to see how maybe students in, in a class that, you know, where, where people felt like they, they didn't have time to place them in those services or just felt like they were flying at the seat of their pants the whole time of like how that one year maybe not being what they needed could affect them all the way down the line. For sure. And I think that will happen because there were a number of students that just didn't show up often enough for us to get to know them. And so if they're potentially going to end up with issues that they are going to need help with, this was a lost year for them just because well, basically their parents couldn't get it together, you know, so many factors. It's not poor parenting, just... Right, or even parents literally not being able to be there for whatever. Right, right. Um, and so just, I mean, so many factors with 
uh, jobs and, um, you know, own parents' educations and how all those things that play into it. And so if it's a family where they couldn't get their kid online consistently or they couldn't get them, you know, in, in person and the kid was in a noisy background situation or, you know, somewhere where they did, didn't have help then they didn't get the same education. And that kills me because usually I've got a room of, you know, 27 completely different kids, but at least I can feel like I have control over what I'm giving them. And this year, unless they log on, unless they email me back, unless they come into class, I couldn't do anything more about it. I can hound the parents and the families as much as I want, but unless they log the kids on, I couldn't do anything. Okay, so we have those kids that were in kindergarten last year and now we're looking forward at the ones that are coming in this year for this jumping off this launching point and i think it should be really interesting if it feels different when you had kids that were you know four years old last year that probably didn't have much socialization at all and in many cases were probably just at home with their you know with their mom for 12 months you know, playing Animal Crossing or trying to figure out ways to pass the time of how that affects them once you actually get into the classroom. Yeah, I will be very curious to see. And I hope I can survey them and get a feel for what their last two years have been because it, even if they went to three-year-old preschool that got cut short and then maybe they weren't sent back for four-year-old preschool, you know, that could have a huge effect. Um, my daughter's actually in the upcoming class. She'll be um, next door with my teaching partner, um, Kristen Woodside. And so, um, however, she was lucky enough. She goes to um, the preschool at CDFC, the Child Development Family Center at NIU. And they were in person pretty much all along. And so she didn't miss much. I feel like her um, socialization, her academics, everything will be fine for her. It'll be, it'll be pretty much exactly the way that it would have been beforehand. However, I know lots of people that didn't send their kids to preschool this year just because of the risks my husband and I needed to had to because uh you know we both we both work and we trusted CDFC to do that and they kept her safe it was great no one had COVID in her classroom everything was wonderful but there were a lot of families that didn't send their kids um anywhere for that you know second year of preschool like I wish they might have been able to but yeah the risks were definitely scary and uh I probably wouldn't have if I'm not, if I weren't a working parent, you know, that needed to. So with next year, right now, like, like you said, like, you know, those kids aren't going to be able to get vaccinated until, you know, months from now, I just can't completely quiet the in the back of my mind where I'm like, there's going to be quarantines, there's going to be something, and I don't know what that looks like. How are you feeling with there? Do you think that that's something that we're probably going to see come October? Yeah, I do. Um, from what I've been reading and seeing, this Delta variant is hitting people that have been vaccinated. It's hitting kids, I guess, RSV, which is normally a winter thing. I think my kids had it as babies in the winter. Um, now it's hitting people. Um, it hasn't affected our family yet, but those could all be situations for sure. And wearing masks is only going to help. <laughs> yes. It helps the kids keep pencils and markers out of their mouth. It helps them to remember to not touch their face. I mean, you know, even if they've got it down below their nose, which so many of them, you know, oftentimes do, it's still on there as a reminder to keep their hands and keep things out of it. And then, you know, me screaming, masks up, go wash your hands, like constantly also 
helps, helps keeping them uh, reminded to stay healthy. So. Right. Well, I'm sure for the kids, it's kind of a similar thing when they're getting it from their parents, right? Where it's just like, you know, this summer, I'm, I'm sure they're feeling like, hey, things are more or less back to normal. And then they'll be, you know, back in a situation potentially where it's, it's really not. And that, that, that's probably a really hard thing to learn because it's just like, like, frankly, I'm, you know, trying my best. It's my job to get caught up on the news and make sure I'm up to date on the stuff. But we're 16, 17 months into this, it's exhausting. Definitely, I can see that for sure. Yeah, I'm a little worried about the students, my daughter included, that haven't really had to wear a mask all summer. We don't go hardly anywhere that's inside. We, we go outside and we do things in our own home in our own neighborhood, and then we do outside stuff. And so she wore it all last school year, great, at, uh, at school all day, every day, and she's really good at it. But now she hasn't had to do it all summer. And I worry about the, you know, five-year-olds coming into kindergarten that have never really had to wear a mask if they just stayed home. Um, and then definitely haven't had to wear it this summer. Not that many people are. So I'll be curious to see how much, how many, how many times a day I have to say, mask, mask up, mask up. <laughs> right. And then it's also going to be fascinating to be like, okay, well, last year looked not very close to what your ideal kindergarten teaching situation is. Are we 70% of that? Are we 80% are we of that in the fall? And, you know, how do we, how do you even prepare for that? Yeah, well, I don't actually know. So one of the things that makes a big difference is um, what they allow me to have in my classroom. So last year, one of the big things they did was they took out my rug where we all sit together on the carpet, you know, and it's a good, easy way to keep everybody together in their own little space and you know is it like one of those town math uh rugs or one of those type of things that mine just has colorful rectangle or colorful squares on it so you know i say you are the blue square stay in the blue square you know and so we keep it together like that but um they also took my like uh, i call it a rainbow table it's a guided reading table where i can kind of sit in the small part and i can have five or six kids around me for guided reading they had to take that out obviously we can't sit all that close together they had to take out uh my trampoline and my play kitchen and things like that that facilitate those play experiences that i really wanted to have that we didn't get as much of this year i mean toys wise this year i still wanted them to have that experience and so um, they had taped boxes on the floor where their chair would be, and then they could also sit on the floor. And they had, you know, boxes or baggies with their names on them. Like, these are your Legos, and only you can touch these. And then when they were done with that, those would have to quarantine, and they could choose something new. And so we could rotate the toys around, and they got to play. And they found ways, you know, I'm going to sit under my table, and you sit under your table, and we'll kind of play with our toys, um, you know, together. But I would love for the play to be able to come back and have some of that again, but I'm not sure that I'll get my kitchen and my trampoline and my reading table and my carpet back. Did you say That's trampoline? Gonna, yeah, I have a small trampoline, um, and they can they take turns uh, jumping on it as one of the uh, like play center kind of activities. I love it. I just had to make sure. I was like, I think she said trampoline. I did. It's like I wish I had a trampoline in my kindergarten class, man. <laughs> it's a fun time. Well, like I said, there's a big portion of this where I, I do want to ask about you and you know your journey with education because you know this is a show about inspirational educators and we found that a lot of times that means that you've probably had an educator somewhere down the line that inspired you to go down the path that you wanted to go down or helped you feel like that was a possibility for you. Was there someone for you that kind of inspired you to want to be a teacher? There were a lot, I guess. I don't know that I 
can name, I mean, I can name them all. I went to a really small school. And so I can name every teacher I had K through 12, like uh, just off the top of my head, because we were very ingrained. My mom was not a teacher. She was a nurse, but she um, was on the PTO and, you know, very involved in our school. And we lived right down, the, right down the street from our grade school. So we were very involved and I, you know, loved every teacher I had there. I never had a bad experience, you know, that I didn't bring on to myself. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know I had a lot of really good experiences and I think that's sometimes why people want to go back. I think in middle school or in, when I was in high school, our middle school was still in the same building that that's how small of a school I went to the middle school and the high school and actually the preschool were all in one building. What school did you go to? I went to Niantic Town. It's in central Illinois. Oh, all right. See, I, it was I went just to, about right the geographic center of Illinois. Just I went to a small school, not quite as small, but I went to Sandwich. So. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Sandwich is small. Yeah. yeah, there were only thirty-two kids in my graduating high school class. Oh yes. Yeah. No, I had some some friends yeah. uh, that graduated from a school that was about sixteen or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's it's easy for prom, I guess. Just pair off and you have like a group of ten. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, that's how a town, a town next to mine that eventually consolidated, and they're all one school now. Yeah. Was they were in the teens. Usually, we were like in the thirties, and so. Oh yeah, so you guys were the big, big man on campus. Yeah. <laughs> you had, you were in that really, really small school. Was it something that pretty much throughout your entire life you kind of just knew this was something that you wanted to do, or did it come at a certain point? When I was very young, I wanted to be an FBI agent. Uh, my grandfather was an FBI agent in Chicago, and that was always really intriguing to me. I got to go to his office downtown in the big, you know, skyscraper, and that was always really cool. But then I realized that I was not uh, brave enough <laughs> to... Spy material? Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't really into that. Um, and so in, in high school, as the middle school was in the same building, I was able to take my, like study hall kind of a period and go tutor at the middle school and kind of started from there. And then um, I went to Eastern Illinois University um, because I knew they had um, a really good hands-on education program. My a cousin went to, I uh, studied edu elementary education at U of I, um, which was also a great school, but I had kind of heard and understood that it was more reading about the philosophy of education and writing papers about it whereas Eastern was known to get in the schools in Charleston and we were constantly in there. And I found that to definitely be true. I did lots of um, you know, lessons with the teachers there. They had this mentoring program at the elementary school. Um, and I initially wanted to teach middle school. So I started one at the middle school there. And so we were in the schools a ton with the kids and getting that hands-on experience even before I graduated. So that was really good. I only have one more question for you, and I'm always curious in my interviews this way, especially when it comes to what your teaching life has been like over the last year. You know, what's something about the last school year and with kindergartners that you think is is maybe more important than people outside of education who like to comment on it might realize? And, you know, maybe something that you just wish people talked about more when they talked about this whole year of pandemic education. Sure, absolutely. I think the social emotional well-being of everyone <laughs> who's had to deal with this pandemic and has been, you know, either lonely or, you know, become depressed about it or whatever. Little kids get those feelings too and they don't always project them in the way that adults do and so they don't know what to look for necessarily, but yeah, we've we've got to talk about it, talk about it with the kids and make sure that if 
they need someone else out of their home to talk to about it, then they can get that help too. Um, and yeah, every, everybody's struggling in a different way. I think from going through a pandemic, it's it's been a, a big deal. I mean, this is something that hasn't happened in what, over a hundred years and uh, it's gonna affect all of us for the rest of our lives. And I wanna make sure that young students that have had to go through this get those feelings out and aren't letting it um, affect you know their whole life and their relationships for for the rest of their lives i want to make sure we meet their social emotional needs right and it's like what you said earlier where you're having to pay attention and keep your eyes peeled in the classrooms to you know see any potential you know warning signs or things that you want to make sure they have services for when it's probably harder than ever to do that on a day-to-day basis yeah but it's it's just every you know I can see into their homes I can see their home lives now and that's something that some of them need to be talking about as well and so yeah I mean it's it's everything it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge to get everybody kind of recovered from this absolutely all right well Sarah thanks a ton for jumping on again what is I'm sure the five thousandth video call that you've had this year you are very welcome and uh, thanks for having me and thanks to uh, Miss Boom Boom for nominating me. Thanks for listening. As always, feel free to nominate an educator in your life to be on this show. It's how we get all of our great guests like Sarah Schneider. Send them our way. The email address is teacherslounge at niu.edu. And wherever you're hearing the podcast, subscribe. Leave us a rating. Anything that you can do like that helps us get more listeners and more awesome perspectives on the show. Big thanks to the Northern Illinois band, Kind Of's, for the awesome music you hear every single episode. Shout out to Spencer Tritt for our Teacher's Lounge logo. I have been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See you later.